and welcome to Please Don't Make Me Watch. On this week's episode, you can expect down on their luck billionaires. The ghosts of theatre directors past. Hillbillies and mistaken identities. And paint. So what have you been up to this week, culture-wise, or have you been very uncultured? No, I'm always cultured. What are you talking about? Um, I went to see, for the second time, Company. I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. By Stephen Sondheim with Rosalie Craig as the main role, Bobby. And I went to see it for my birthday, and I'd never seen it before, and it changed my life. And so I went again. Um, and it was equally amazing the second time, and now I know the lyrics, it was not even better, but it was good in a different way because yeah. I actually like, could appreciate some of the songs I couldn't the first time. Mm. Um, but I took four of my girlfriends, and none of them loved it as much as me. They were like, mm, I don't really get it. That's and I was always like, the way it speaks to me so much. But like, it's essentially about relationships. Like, the whole mm. thing is about looking at relationships and about how, at the end of the day, you can say you're ready for a relationship, but you are only actually ready if you accept that compromise has to happen and you're okay with compromise mm. happening. Yeah. And the main heroine now, it used to be a hero, um, of the story is someone who keeps being like, well, I'm ready, I want to get married because everyone keeps t- saying to her she should mm. get married, but she's not actually ready. No. And then at the end, there's this amazing song which I almost cried at, which is called Being Alive, where she's saying like, but if you're in a relationship, it's just someone to hold you too close and someone to know you too well. Mm. And then they're like, but that's it. And then she's like, I want someone to hold me too close. I want someone to remind me that I'm alive. Like, being alive is why you're in a relationship. Yeah. And it's just, oh, every song is just so great. I mean, I, I think The Ladies Who Lunch, uh, which is uh, in in this show, oh is God. one of the best songs. Okay, so song Patti LuPone. Eternal Queen. Oh my days. Because I went to see it and I was like, I know Patti LuPone is like a gay icon and like a queen, but also I don't really know why. And I saw her and she was good the whole way through. And then she did Ladies Who Lunch. And both times I've seen it, I've got chills. It was so good. So good. The soundtrack is out on February the 1st. We recommend downloading it ASAP. Not Spawn. Not Spawn, but like, if you'd like to sponsor me, please, please do. Please Spawn, please Spawn. Please. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm like, I honestly, it makes me so happy to talk about it. I would happily go through every song explaining to you the message about it because they all just speak to me. But we'll move on. What have you been doing? Um, I've been to the cinema actually quite a bit. So I recently went to see two films. Mm-hmm. I went to see The Favourite and I went to see Mary Poppins Returns. I've seen both of those! Yay! Yay. And They're both really good. They are. I'm going to start with Mary Poppins because I think a lot of people are sceptical with the new Mary Poppins because yeah. One, it's not Julie Andrews as Mary Poppins. Oh. Two, Mary Poppins is so good, does it need a sequel? Yeah. And this is what I'm going to say. Emily Blunt is not playing Julie Andrews playing Mary Poppins. No. She's playing Mary Poppins. Yeah, it's true. It's it very true. It took me about 20 minutes to get on board with the film, but the minute they go in that bathtub... No, you're sold. I'm, I'm sold. I miss Julie Andrews the whole time, essentially. Mm. Although Emily Blunt was very good. Um, and I had, like... I liked the whole film. I yeah. would say I loved it, and the first one was so special to me that it would mm. almost be impossible. Like, as in, there's a bit where in the original film, Bert says, Hello, fine art lovers, or something, young fine art lovers. Yeah. And as, when I was little, I thought he was saying, Hello, fine Alice. So, like, genuinely, <laughs> it's quite a special film to me, and I cried when Mary Poppins left the first time that I watched it. So, this could never live up to it. I thought Ben Whishaw. Ben Whishaw. Oh my god, when he sang the, the song about his wife. Yeah. In like the first five minutes and you're like, why am I, mean, I already upset? I had, I, had to, I had to very, very quickly remove from my head. It's like, he's not Paddington. Yeah. He's not Paddington. Yeah. Especially because, yeah. But, but yeah, yeah, and I think going on to The Favourite, I, pref- mm. I think I preferred The Favourite. Yeah, 100%. Um, the Favourite is weird. If you so haven't seen weird. the Yorgos Lanthimos film, 
I think the favourite's a good one to start to because it's his least weird that yeah, I Yeah, I agree. Less, much less weird than the lobster. I preferred this to the lobster. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think the lobster is an interesting premise, but I didn't like the second half as much. Whereas mm. this, I think, it's built on the fact that the three central characters, um, played by Olivia Coleman, Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone, are all fantastic. Mm. I mean, especially Olivia Coleman. The interesting thing is I saw a play called Queen Anne by the RFC mm. last year, which is, is that exactly about their mm. relationship between... Sarah, Duchess of Marlborough, and Queen Anne. Yeah. So it's quite interesting that this is like the time that people, like clearly people have been like, we need to do something about female friendships. Mm. But it's just, I don't know, I find it quite interesting they both came out at the same time. Yeah, I, I really, I love the style of it and how kind of there will just be sort of random shots. There's like, there's a bit where someone gets pelted with pomegranates for no reason. And naked, except for in uh, a, a fop wig. wig. Yeah. It's, it's a It's very good film. at capturing both the intense worry that people had about that time mm. because of the wars of France and like and the worry about the Stuart succession sort of but also the intense boredom that the upper classes must have felt in order yeah. to do like just ridiculous things and you think it must have been incredibly boring to be that wealthy because what do you do? what you do you do with your time? and also there's like no TV, no film, no, no like, you can't be this like, this podcast could not exist. I'm going to go to a bottomless brunch this today with my friends, or like, I'm going to go to a rave in a club or whatever, like, yeah. you can't do any of that. So you just have fuck all to do all the time. I know. But I, I think, I think it's, it's really, really, it's a fascinating mm. film, and I... And Olivia Coleman is amazing. I mean, Olivia Coleman is great in everything. Yeah. I have not seen her do a bad I also Nick... Holt, Nicholas Holt, yes, like fantastic. Really surprised me. Very, very good. Yeah. As, um, who is he? He's the leader of the opposition. Yes. Um, and I, yeah, I. And I've just read a book all about this period, Ooh. but in a different. Um, it's looking at a specific element of the period, but it mentions all the people in the film. It was really weird hearing them ah. and knowing that they they relate to the other the people from the film. So that was interesting. But no, I think I think that is really interesting. But I think we must now get on with the show. On with the show. So first up is my TV this week. So Alice, what did you think of Shit's Creek? Okay, so Shit's Creek is a show started in 2015. Um, it's a Canadian TV sitcom created by Eugene Levy and his son Daniel Levy, who also both star in it, alongside um, most notably Catherine O'Hara. AKA Kevin's mom from Home Alone. Kevin! Sorry. Quiet. Um, but it's about a family who lose their entire fortune after being defrauded by their business manager, so they're forced to rebuild their lives with their sole remaining asset, which is a small town named Shit's Creek, which they had bought for their son as a joke gift a few years earlier, which is a ridiculous premise, but I think it works really well as a show. And I'm interested to know what you thought about it. I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, I might watch it again. It's only like 20 minutes long. Yeah, so they're very short episodes. I'm very willing to give this, like, to carry on watching. Mm. It's not like, it didn't grab me from the first. I no, thought, I didn't think it grabbed me either, but it kept me interested. Yeah, I think the characters are fun. Kafano, yeah. was it? Kafano Hara. Is hilarious. As Moira Rose. Very, very funny. I think Alexis Rose is also really funny. She's like, ew, David. Yeah, they're all just like spoiled upper class they're people. They're such brats. They're massive brats, and that's funny. And mm. then they're like, they meet not exactly hillbillies that's later but essentially hillbillies yeah. who live in the town um and it's about you know they have to sit in this horrible motel i thought it was like funny but i kind of wanted more because it was just such a basic idea like rich people go to a really mm. shitty place and then they're like 
oh my god and then that's the whole show yeah i think that's that's the first episode because i think in the first episode they obviously have to set yeah, up the tennis and it definitely as it progresses you get for example moira running for city council mm. you get alexis's relationships with people you get yeah. david's relationship because david with gay that's what i was wondering well david actually is one of the few examples of representation of a pansexual character on tv oh. um so he has relationships with Anyone female and male characters um and alexis also has relationships with characters i think you might meet in episode two or three oh, and it's okay. and it's a really interesting way of kind of doing the show because it's something that's very much just kind of mentioned in an offhand way later in the series right rather than something that's sort of um stated really obviously from the start it's yeah. implied definitely he's very camp but he's not mm. like I just wondered. Yeah. Well, I mean, the um, Daniel Levy, the guy who plays David, is gay. Oh, okay. Um, but I think, for me, the star of the show is Catherine O'Hara as, yeah, Moira, as Moira. Because she has an inexhaustible wig collection that would make any drag queen jealous. Oh, my God. And the way she packs them is really funny. Like, you see her trying to pack her wig, and she's like, not that one next to this one, no! And you're like... She's so over There's the a great introduction to a character, I thought. But yeah. we never see her before that moment. No. I think. And then she has like so many ridiculous outfits and yeah. sort of so many things that she just comes out with, so many one-liners. But mm. I think there are so many great because it is it does get, I think, funnier after the first episode mm-hmm. because it's less set up. I think sitcoms usually do. I think that's mm. one of the flaws in our premise. With our TV, yeah. Because I think we had a similar problem with Friday Night Dinner. Mm. Less I think Friday Night Dinner Friday Night Dinner almost gets into it quicker because it doesn't you don't have to set, to set up, up the premise. Yeah. Like it's just a Friday night dinner. you're at a Friday night dinner, like done, it's in the title. Yeah. It's like the in-between is like vaguely sets up in the first series, but essentially it's just people joking around. Mm. Whereas this one, there is in essence some sort of plot, which is that. Yeah, and they have and they have to kind of introduce it. And I think it works really well having essentially within the family of four, within of the Rose family, you have Eugene Levy as Bobby Rose as the straight man almost mm. to the ridiculousness of his wife and his children. Yeah. I mean, Alexis is an idiot. Oh my gosh, she's a moron. But in such an entertaining way. Yeah. And I mean, there is a whole compilation of YouTube just hugging, ew, David. Ew, David. David. <laughs> and then there's a whole compilation of Moira Rose saying... Do you know what my actual favourite bit was, though? Which Sorry bit? to interrupt. No. The bit where they go to the restaurant or like the diner or whatever, and then they get these ridiculously big menus that fold out into like four pieces. And it's just the kids being like, like trying to open theirs and jostling each other and be like, no, no. Like, I just related to that I so relate, sure. yeah. That was like such a great touch because that is exactly what you do with your siblings when you're like kind of just yeah. want to annoy them for no reason. It's like the front yeah. seat of the car and you're like, no, I'm on the front seat. The front seat literally makes no difference. No. But like you desperately want uh, it. Uh, uh, yeah, the front seat makes a difference if you have, you know, legs. No, 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 it makes a difference because you have more leg room and stuff. But like as in, it's not like the be like you can survive mm. a journey elsewhere. Yeah. But you have to get the front because otherwise they will get the front and that's unfair. True. And I thought that was, they got that similar relationship. The dynamic's done really well. I think what's also really interesting is that um, Sarah Levy plays Twyla, the uh, waitress in the diner. Yeah, oh. so it's a, it's a whole family affair, this show. Wow, nepotism. I, I know. That's but cool. also, I didn't know that that, that Twyla was Eugene Levy's daughter in real life until I Googled it. Mm, no. it and it's it's such a kind of, it is an ensemble piece. Mm. And I think that's what makes it work, is it's not, you're not just, for example, following Bobby Rose as he tries to manage his family. You're yeah. following his family as they try and manage their situation. Yeah. Stevie, I think the owner of the motel, is a really great character as well because she kind of 
almost toy plays into their nonsense and into yeah. their bullshit. And I think later as the series progresses, she gets she gets to know them better and feels like she can open up to them. Nice. But then also sort of there are just moments between her and Moira. There's one episode where um, someone's nudes leak in town and Moira reminisces about the one time she did a naked photo shoot but sadly can't find any pictures of this naked photo shoot on the internet. And there's a line where she goes to Stevie, aren't you sad that just an immortal moment is lost to time? And Stevie goes, hang on, you're sad about this? <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, it's all of this, it's these little kind of lines between, the, it's the chemistry of the characters that really yeah. makes the show. And I think makes me continue to watching it. I mean, series five, I think, is currently airing yeah. in Canada. So hopefully it'll be on British Netflix soon. Yay. Fingers crossed. But it's it definitely something you can put on for 20 minutes. Yeah, and... it was enjoyable. Yeah. But I have other things I want to watch first. Exactly, yeah. Um, so onto my TV. <laughs> so I have a soft spot for this show and I haven't seen it in years because it was all on YouTube uh, when I went on my gab yarn and my laptop broke down and I wanted to watch something. And I've discovered this show and it was all there just for the taking. Yeah. Um, and so I have a real nostalgia because it reminds me of being in a specific country at a specific, mm. specific time in my life and things. But it is Slings and Arrows. Um, Slings and Arrows is another Canadian TV series um, from 2003 this time, which is set at a fictional New Burbage Festival, which is a Shakespearean festival similar to like the real world Stratford-upon-Avon mm. festival. It's run by a big artistic director. He then dies in like the first 10 minutes. I'm not giving you anything away here. And his old colleague, who he's enemies with, who's a bit of a rogue player, is invited back to be artistic director in his place. And there's a lot of controversy about this. So it's kind of about like, without giving too much away, the ghost of the dead actor director appears to the new actor director. There's this whole like Shakespearean thing running through it, but there's also like, they're all having to put on Hamlet and mm. this movie star is gonna play Hamlet and Rachel McAdams in like one of her first ever TV roles is going to play Ophelia and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, what did you think? I see why you really like this show <laughs> because it is essentially, at least from my watching of it, Gilmore Girls with added Shakespeare. Oh, in, I so, in, terms, see in that. terms of tone, not necessarily in terms of kind of character and stuff, but in terms of tone, I very much got a Gilmore Girls vibe. As in, it's a lot of people talking to each other. Yeah, with the, with vague attempts of bitchy dialogue that don't really get carried off that well. Ooh, I have I had the same problem with this that I had with Gilmore Girls. What? Um, it I, it um, didn't engage me in any way. I think I, I love Jeffrey Tennant. I think he was he was probably the best bit of it. But he's the main character. But also he didn't engage me enough. The, the, for me, it, it really fell off a cliff when he wasn't on the screen. Yeah. And I was kind yeah. of tempted to fast forward to the bits when he came back. Yeah, I see that. I think it's, for me at least, it was slightly better than Gilmore Girls because at least I could appreciate the Shakespeare. Yeah. I love the theme tune as well. I think the theme tune's just funny. I, I didn't remember the theme tune at all. Oh, it's them all playing on a piano at like a kind of actor's bar. Oh. I can't remember what the lyrics are, I just remember really liking it. But again, that is because I watched it at a specific time in my life and I remember hearing that music and being like, yay! Yeah, I have, I have written though, because um, there's sort of a lot of talk about thespians in the first episode, I was like, mm. God, thespians are the worst. And then thespians and black turtlenecks, and then insert Meryl Streep gif here, groundbreaking. <laughs> yeah, but that's partly why I like, because I love the theatre world, so to me it's just like, great, mm. like, it's just watching characters 
in the theatre world, like with various dramas. And I love the fact that the ghost comes back. Just think it's just funny. Like every time he comes back, I'm like, it's dramatic, but it's also I don't know. It's like a portrayal of a, almost a mental breakdown in a way, but yeah. in a very weird and like slightly comedic way. No, I actually, I actually think I'm gonna go back on what I said. I think Oliver is probably the most interesting character. Yeah, who is the dead guy? Yeah. Oh, Oliver's great, actually. Yeah. I he's. He's very interesting, and I think um, it just kind of... It's a shame, though, that like he's, he's gone by the end of the first episode. And... Oh, here we go. I found this theme tune. It's called Cheer Up, Hamlet. I just think that's really funny. Yeah, again... Fuck up, you melancholy dame. It's just really funny. So your <laughs> uncle is a cad who murdered mum, and murdered dad and married mum. That's really no excuse to be as glum as you've become. So wise up, Hamlet. Rise up, Hamlet. Perk up and sing a new refrain. Your incessant monologizing fills the castle with ennui. Your antic disposition is embarrassing to see. And by the way, you sulky brat, the answer is to be. It's funny. Yeah. It's clever lyrics. It's, it's the, I didn't get that the first time I watched it. I just, yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, I just didn't really vibe with it at all. Okay. I think, I think the costumes were really, it was really interesting when they did the Midsummer Night's Dream production. The costumes were mm. so over the top. Yeah. But if anything, it wasn't a very engaging performance in Midsummer Night's Dream, that's but I think that was the point. Yeah, yeah, that's the point. I think, I think that's partly why I like this as well, because it's so interesting about like what... Yeah. I find it interesting to talk about what is Shakespeare, and is mm. it... Can you commercialise it? Is it? Should it be playing to like the lowest common denominator yeah. of the audience, or should it be trying to challenge its audience, and all of those kind of issues are things that I find interesting anyway, so... I get why I get, like as in yeah. even if you find that vaguely interesting, I get why this wouldn't be the show for you unless you're like, whoa. Yeah, I'm not. What that an interesting cultural there. debate. I mean I think for me there were some real issues like the character of Gina gets drunk in the space of a sentence. Yeah. <laughs> she, she drinks her drink, says her sentence, drinks her drink again, and then is wasted. Are we all like that a little bit? No. Now? I no. <laughs> I have evidence that you are like that, but also no. <laughs> And it had some good lines in, like, I think the line, such an unbridled display of heterosexuality is a great line in that situation. But, yeah, yeah it, okay. it really didn't do it for I me. I get you. It was... I really wanted to like this, but I was... Yeah, I was very No, that's bored. fine. That's fine. It's fine! <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> okay, I mean, I think we're on for a firestorm for the next one, because I asked you for film, go to the cinema... <laughs> I asked you to watch a film that I don't think is good, but I really enjoyed, which is Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Uh, so Tucker and Dale versus Evil is a 2010 comedy horror film directed by Eli Craig. It stars Alan Tudyk and Tyler Labine as a pair of well-meaning hillbillies who are mistakenly identified as killers of a group of clueless college students and is basically a sort of send-up of all those kind of slasher, go to a cabin in the woods, all the hot teens then slowly get murdered one by one. And it's kind of a send-up of one of those in a way. Uh, but I I think just by your face alone, you hated this. I just thought it was one of the most boring films I've ever watched. Boring! Yeah, like... Boring! I didn't, I didn't hate it because I hated it. I found it so boring. And I watched it with someone and we both were just like... Jesus. Like, I was checking when it was going to end every 10 minutes, basically. It was so dull. <sighs> I mean, I think you haven't watched many horror films, have you? No, but I know the genre, as in, mm. like, I'm well aware of the genre, and I've seen, like, 
stuff i've seen like bits of stuff where yeah. it's like oh the college students go like i knew what they were sending up it's not like mm-hmm. i didn't get it i felt like it was trying to do what hot fuzz did or Shaun of the dead did but in like the shittest way ever i think i think that's like unfair. graphic I think... gore for like comedy's sake and like tits spoofing the genre of a film and i thought just like look at the cornetto trilogy and just stop making your own movie because like you can't well, do it as well. Uh, see no i i don't i think the film it compares most to is cabin in the woods i don't think it i think hot fuzz is an unfair comparison why? They do the same thing where people get like impaled and stuff. And, well, like, the, the I think, I think like, Hot, Fuzz, Hot Fuzz has that slight area of seriousness to it. And I think. Oh my god, this has such an air. This has such an unwarranted air of seriousness about it. I don't like, so think that at all. I think it is just completely absurd. I think, no, I think there was. The reason I find it boring is that, like, at least sometimes people die, but, like, most of the time, it's people having conversations about, like, what it means to be a hillbilly. I don't know, it's supposed to be, like, a bit of a send up, but, like, it's not funny enough to warrant that much screen time. It was so dull. Oh, yeah, and no. And I also had a, like, I tried to intellectualise it a bit because I got a bit bored. And. I felt like it was buying into this whole, and I know this is like a big comparison, but this whole idea of like an American average Joe who would like to believe that the elite are to blame. And I thought it was like all these elite college students being dicks Mm. and you hate them naturally. And then the hillbillies, they're just like good and well-meaning and miraculously one of them has like an amazing memory and is like actually incredibly intellectual. And at one point one of the characters is like, you know, there's a difference between education and intellect. And it's like, no, that's what the, as in, I know it's a spoof, but it's actually promoting the idea that like, do you know what? Fuck educated and wealthy people, which is fuck like, as in fair enough, Mm. fuck wealthy people because like the world is unfair and there are systemic problems. But also this idea that you can be like, oh, well they're college students and therefore like, yeah, college students are dicks, but they're not in this. I just no, found I mean, it. Really, I, think, like, I think for me it was it's, a really big issue, like genuinely an actually big issue to like. Rem- and I know it's a joke, but I just think it's not that funny to be like, "Yay, dumb people are always right." Well, no, they're fucking dumb. I mean, I think you are reading way too much into this film. Yeah, but you have to read stuff at, like with mainstream movies like that. I think you have to read that much into it because it has an effect on how people think about stuff, and I think it buys into a trend where people were like. It's from 2010, right? Uh, 2010, yeah. Yeah. I think it buys into a trend that we've, we've, it has continued of people being like, fuck, like, like, it's two years after the economic crash. Fuck wealthy people. Fuck the elite. Fuck that shit. Hillbilly. I think, yeah. I think, I think there are films that say that. I don't think this is that film. I think, I think this, this film is more about kind of like mistaken identity and kind of that sort of narrative rather than intellectualism. But I it think, is about intellectualism because they have a whole thing about how the hillbillies are actually clever and like oh wow they play board games amazing well done like yeah oh, no I just I see, like I, I think brick I, and be like educated people are just better because they obviously aren't like everyone has like no I think it's much more film about prejudice and it's much more film about because the the villain of this is essentially the college student being like it's the hillbillies they're gonna kill us all but all and of the college students are, are villains yeah in a way. but I think I think that's the point is that we tend to see in horror films the kind of hot straight leads are the hot straight leads because they're hot and straight and therefore that's how they're going to survive in this it doesn't do that yeah it does she survives because she's hot she survives yes because she listens she doesn't she doesn't survive because she's hot 
Yeah, but also it's the a Hollywood, it's a Hollywood film. What are they going to do? No, but the reason they're watching her is because she's hot. They're perving on her. Like, as in, yeah, I'm and not, then it's suddenly I'm... like, oh, yay, the hillbillies. And you're like, oh, I love Dale because when she's stripping off to go skinny dipping, he doesn't watch from his secret fishing boat where he's lurking in the background because his friend does. And you're like, wow, what a great man you are. No, basic is basic. Yeah, I agree with you on all of this. However, I think I had a fun time watching this film because it is so absurd. But not absurd enough, almost. I, yeah, I just, I, I think it's, it, it toes that line between going in towards, for me, the scary movie territory. I thought it was just like, I, I just didn't think it was funny. Like, I didn't find anything funny about it. I think I maybe laughed mm. once. I can't remember what, what line. I mean, I, I laughed. I think when she was like, uh, trying to therapise the situation and they both just tried to kill each other when they had like tea. Yeah. And that was quite funny. I, I particularly, I quite like sort of the kind of, the play on the deaths in it. I think from sort of kind of how most of them are accidental. I think that's a really nice touch. But it's so boring after like one, you're like, great, okay, fine. Yeah, but I, I see, I didn't mind There's that. There's so many college kids to be killed off. There's like eight. And you're like, I don't give a shit about any of you. And I know you're supposed to, but like, after you've seen one college kid impaled, you've seen all yeah. of them impaled, you know? Yeah, but I think it's it's a it's a dumb film. I, I, I would admit on you that, but I don't think it's saying what you're saying. I just found the conversations between... They'd have conversations between the two hillbillies where it'd be like, you know what, you just need to see his life by the day and you're an amazing person and stuff. And it was like, and then between the hillbilly and like the mm. hot college girl, and it's like, I see the real you. And it's like, do you know what? Maybe you see the yeah. real him because you'd hit your head twice and lost quite a lot of brain cells because he is yeah. not for you. Like, as no, in- no, no, I, I agree with you on this, but I think some of the things that you're saying, if these lines were being said by the college kids, they'd equally be annoying. Oh yeah. And I think, I think a lot of it kind of, it's sort of the sees by the day thing. You see it as like an Instagram, Facebook meme posted every single day. Oh, no, and, I've seen, and, I, and I didn't like that aspect. I didn't particularly like the relationship side of the film. For me, I'd much rather if Dale wasn't it. If it was just Tucker, yeah. I think it'd be a much better film. But you like Tucker, I think, because he's in Firefly. Because I looked this up, so yes. I was like, oh, I recognise him from somewhere. And yeah. I was like, oh, But also, okay. he's, in, he's in every single modern Disney film. I know he is. I looked, I, yeah. I looked up his whole biography in my brain, but also I felt like when I saw him in Firefly, I was mm. like, hmm, maybe but, this is why Sam likes this film. But I think, I think also it's, it's he's, he's the more compelling character, I think. He works better with the mistaken identity, kind of everything going a bit wrong and intentional yeah, than yeah, Dale does. Yeah. And I, I will admit that I think Dale has definitely got some problematic elements to it. But I enjoyed this film. I don't think it's good. I will hold my hand up and say I don't think it's good, but I enjoyed watching this film. I had so many things I would have rather been doing. But then again, you made me watch The Ten Year Plan. I think potentially, because I, I watched a 10 year plan whilst doing other things, mm. like like not interesting things, but like doing the laundry, like painting my nails or something. Yeah. Like, just like doing other tasks, and I didn't do anything during this. I just watched mm. it with someone. I think and I, it was just, we were both just like, uh, I think I had similar thing. I was, I was otherwise occupied while watching this. Okay. But it was, it was good enough background watching that I think it helped. I mean, at the end of this film, I literally had to turn to the person and be like, I owe you an hour and a half of time. Because we'll never get that back, and I made you. I mean, I yeah, I think I think we're now equal because if you hate this so much, then you have repaid the hour and a half that you made me. The, take the and really annoying plan. thing was that I didn't hate it; I just was bored, and that's what annoyed me. And I feel like I'm intellectualizing it to find a reason to actually hate it, so I can have some emotion. Yeah, I, I think I think you being bored is less than you actually hating it. No, I, it's more. 
Boredom, no, I'd, I'd put boredom above hatred. No, the I, I found... my least favourite films are like down in real life because it bored me better. At least the film that I hate, I can be like, I have such strong opinions about this film to talk about. Well, see, I mean, I, I, mean, I found Slings and Arrows quite boring, but I would, I don't think it's bad. I just found it dull. Mm. I think, I think, I think it's, it's where you put boredom on a scale of how you rate things. Because I, I, I think, I think. Oh, for a film, I film for a TV show. Boredom less so than hate, almost, mm. because it's a shorter amount of time. True. But I think boredom for a film is probably the worst sin because I, I think you can hate bits of a film, but it's hard to hate an entire film. I don't know. But whereas this, well, I, I did. I found it irritating. I found this. I like. I know you don't like Dale. Well, not don't like Dale, but like you don't have a problem with Dale not being in it either. But mm. I just found this like idea that he somehow deserves the girl at the end, and mm. you're supposed to feel happy uh, yeah. about it. Really, just I like, have a problem with look, his narrative. He's not a nice person. Like, no, he's an average person, and we're somehow supposed to think that like all women would just fall at the feet of someone mm. who plays board games with them, who's like vaguely nice because all college guys are just apparently dicks or weak, mm. and like what she needs is like a kind, dumb guy mm. to like look after her physically. I just found that really like yeah, great. Thanks for that. What a great way to end the film. And then he's like. So it's supposed to be really funny anyway. Dale's like says to another really weird looking hillbilly, he's like, just be yourself and go and enjoy the girl or whatever. Like, go and chat up this girl. And then you see him in the background and all the college kids are running away screaming again and you're like, ha ha ha, another misunderstanding. Mm. Another like, whatever. I, I, I agree that joke did get old. But yeah, I... it's just like, do you know what? Don't blame the girls for being that scared. Mm. Like, originally he walks over the side. The final hillbilly looks genuinely like not very nice. Maybe I just judge too much of <laughs> the I mean, we, we get we're getting into. I think we're meandering now. No, we're no, this no, is we're, we're, repeat, we're repeating ourselves. Okay, I think. No, I, I'm repeating myself. And I think I think we we need to move on. Okay. We get you didn't like it. Okay. That's sorry. fine. This is my ten-year plan moment. Yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be more films coming up that will be another ten-year plan. Oh, good lord, what? I haven't watched them yet, but there was, I think, oh, oh, hmm. What? Okay, well, we'll see. Yeah. Um, right, okay, so onto my film. Very, very different. Very different, yeah. Um, this is Loving Vincent. Loving Vincent is a film from 2017, which I saw last year, so relatively modern. It's directed by Dorota Cabella and Hugh Welchman. And it's an experimental animated biographical drama film, enough adjectives, am I right, about the life of painter Vincent van Gogh and in particular the circumstances of his death. It's the first ever fully painted animated feature film and is, in my opinion, beautiful. Sam, what did you think? I agree, this is a gorgeous film. For me, I thought it was a bit slow okay. and a bit slight. I actually agree with you, yeah. I think, I don't think it had enough content to warrant its runtime. Mm -hmm. There are a lot, of, I mean, while the animation style, I mean, I love animation, the animation is gorgeous. Oh, yeah. There were a lot of long lingering shots mm. on a thing. Mm. And I think for me, I enjoy it and I think there's a very good conversation, especially around the mental health stuff, I think it's really good in this film. But, and it's, it's I think I described it in my notes as a beautiful exploration of trauma. Hmm. 
But one thing is that I've made notes on it. Normally I have three pages of notes for a film. I've only got one page of notes for this film. Okay. I didn't feel that there was much to talk about. Yeah, I agree. It's very much like you are watching a Vincent Van Gogh painting for an hour and a half. Yeah, I think almost the most interesting thing about this movie is how they made it. Mm. And I listened to quite a few interviews and they had to like get hundreds of painters across yeah. the world to do like tiny, tiny little scenes. So you can mm. interview one painter and she maybe painted, you know, like three seconds of the film, which is insane. And exactly, that'd be like yeah. 400 paintings. Yeah, and I think there were little details that I really liked. I think mostly going back to the animation style, I loved the like light bulbs and how they looked and how candles and, and it all had that kind of that bang of glow about yeah. it and seeing the actual paint like it felt tactile yes. I thought that was really beautiful the one thing that I think put me off a bit was I found the mouths really uncanny yeah the, the for me the speech similar to like you were saying with the lip syncing in Priscilla for yeah. me the speech really didn't lie up yeah and I and I found with certain characters it very off-putting. Yeah, no, I do, I do see what you mean. Um, and I think, for me, the one that really stuck out was Helen McCrory's character, the housekeeper. Yes. I think her mouth really didn't match up. And mm. uh, that, for me, was sort of a bit of the point yeah. of disconnect. Yeah. I do think this film is a little bit styled over substance. Oh, I 100% agree, actually. <laughs> I think I think not a lot, but I do think it's... It's there. It's like interesting enough, but also I could very easily go to sleep in this movie and I like, as in, I had a pleasant time watching it. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't necessarily watch it again. The plot is essentially just like leading up to Van Gogh's death mm. and something about a letter, I remember. Yeah. I mean, it was nominated for Best Animated picture of the Oscars and lost to Coco and I think rightly so. I haven't seen Coco. Coco I think is a much better film. It's much more kind of Engaging. I think the animation is really gorgeous. Oh, I have seen. Way. It was nominated against the Breadwinner, which is such an amazing. The Breadwinner movie. is a great. Film. Wow, you should watch it if you haven't watch seen the it. Watch Breadwinner. Yeah. Um, but I think it. For me, I thought there were so many good elements that I really liked. I liked the black and white as the flashback. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a really solid framing device, having him trying to deliver the letter. Yeah. Because then it meant that you met all of these characters within Van Gogh's paintings. And there was the other kind of references to artists at the same time. My issue is I don't know enough about art that I got no, a lot of I. them. No. I mean, I think the character of Armand, played by Douglas Booth, punches a lot of people in this film. <laughs> yeah. He's very punchy. Yep. But other than that, I, I don't have a lot to say about this film. No, it's like a beautiful film. You will probably think it's beautiful. I don't know if you'll like it. Do you yeah, like I, can, I can see people watching this film being like, I was bored. I was never yeah. bored. But, but I, I also wasn't fascinated ever. No. Like I thought, hmm, I'd quite like to know how this turns out. Yeah. Also, hmm, if I had to Wikipedia it, wouldn't be that mad. I, yeah, I did find myself drifting a lot. Yeah. And I think that isn't for me an issue with animated films. Because I, I found myself comparing it to animated films that I really love the style of, which is the worst thing you can yeah. do. I mean, even something as much... I mean, my favourite shot in any animated film is there's, a, is there's just one shot in Up when the balloon mm -hmm. is going away and you get the balloons floating past that girl's window and it just kind of turns in all those colours of light. Oh. That for me was a moment that I look at an animation and think, that is what is capable, because it is stunning. And you yeah. just see the kind of little girl light up as all these colours go around oh, her room wow. as the house goes by. I remember. Also for me then with Up, it's got that story basis, whereas I think this was beautiful from start to finish. But then there was no one shot that made me really grab at it. Yes, yeah. And that for me i think was an issue yeah it's competently beautiful yes 
I mean, I think... I think I'm glad I saw it in the cinema. Because mm. I saw it on Netflix. Yeah, and I think the full screen effect was like, oh my god, this is incredible that you've managed to do this. But yeah. again, like, I remember being in the cinema and being quite sleepy. Mm. No, because I was like, I was tired anyway. It didn't like force me to no. sleep. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I can I can see people watching this film thinking this is the most beautiful animated thing ever. Mm. And I can see people watching this film saying this is the dullest film I've ever yeah, watched in my life. Yeah, agreed. And I'm somewhere in the middle, erring more towards the positive, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I don't think I'm going to watch it again. It's not what I'm going to think, yes, I'm going to put Loving Vincent on. Yeah, agreed. So scores on the doors. Scores on the doors this week. Okay. Um, so what are we starting with? We are starting with Shit's Creek. Shit's Creek. Um, I gave this a solid six. Okay. Um, because I think it has very much potential for me to love it after yeah. a bit, but I didn't love it from the first episode, and I thought it was a little bit mm-hmm. like, yay, rich people in the town. Yeah. Woo, I think I get I get that. I think because I'm coming at it from having seen the whole series. Yeah. I've given it seven and a half. Fair enough. Next, Slings and Arrows. I give a seven. It's partly nostalgia and I haven't watched it in ages. Mm. So I, you could be right that it's really boring. But also, yeah. just the theatre world, you're dying. Mm. I think for me, the issue is that I don't really know the theatre world that well. It really, in tone, reminded me of Gilmore Girls. <laughs> and I was very bored. I think it's slightly better than Gilmore Girls, so mm-hmm. I gave it four. Well, okay. That's so sad. Yeah. I can't really complain. Okay. I mean, Tucker Adele vs. Evil, I acknowledge is not good, but I did enjoy watching it, so I gave it five. Okay, I was just remembering your, like, antipathy against the 10-year plan, which I enjoyed so much more, so I gave this a zero. Which I I think this is... I think it is a better film than the 10-year... It's a better made film than the 10-year plan. Um... Yeah, it had a bigger budget. Mm. It was better acting. It's a more competent film than the 10-year plan, let's put it that way. Yeah, but I think only because it had a bigger budget. Like, and better acting. Yeah, because they had a bigger budget. Like, you can only get better actors if you have a bigger budget. Yeah, no. Nah, 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 no, no, no. Okay. Um, and then uh, Loving Vincent, I gave a seven. I agree with that. Beautiful, but... Yeah. But it, it's a bit slight. Yeah. So as we go to the leaderboard after this week... Nothing has supplanted the West Wing or Lady Bird. And nothing supplanted. Nothing supplanted the tenure plan, although Tuckerdale has come close. Yes. Nothing has also knocked the Last Kingdom out of its last spot, unjustly so. Okay, so next week, what are we going to be watching? Next week, I think I am going to go back to sci fi, which I know you don't like for TV. I'm trying to watch more sci fi. So I'm I'm going to give you something that's a bit weirder. It's a bit, it's an animated series. It's on Netflix and it's called Final Space. And I'd like to watch the first episode of that. Okay. Um, TV, I'm going to recommend one of my favourite programmes. And if you don't like it, I will actually be okay. upset. And I think universally loved, actually. Line of Duty. This oh. is one that I've heard so much about and I haven't seen. So Jen Mercurio. Bloody hell, it's good. For films, I'm going to suggest the oldest film so far that we've suggested. Because mm. I think it's... I was surprised you hadn't seen this because I think it's the sort of... It's the sort of thing that I think you might either really like or find a real issue with. And I would like you to watch Some Like It Hot. Is this Marilyn Monroe? Yes. And I'm going to get you to watch one of my favourite rom-coms, oh, which is no. trashy, but I, like genuine, as in, if the 10-year plan I accept is low, yeah. 27 Dresses, which is what I'm going to make you watch, is genuinely just joyful. This is the one I'm scared about. I don't know I'm why. scared I'm going to She's a bridesmaid forever, and it's so great. Like, I mean, I love the idea of weddings in mm. general, but like, there's a scene where she tries on all these different wedding dresses, bridesmaid's dresses, and they're just hilarious. Like... And you see how ridiculous it is, the whole wedding industry, but mm-hmm. at the same time, see how like important it is to some people. And 
Also, James Marsden is the romantic lead, and bloody hell is he good looking. He's Cyclops in X-Men, isn't he? I've no idea. He's the guy in Hairspray. The new Hairspray. Yeah, the new Hairspray. Oh, yeah. But he's the guy who's like, it's the Corny Collins show. Yeah. Yeah. He's Cyclops in X-Men. Oh, okay. Well, he's in this, and he's... (laughs) So that's the end of this week's episode. Thank you all for listening. If you want to follow us on various social medias, we're on Twitter at Don't Make Me Watch. And we're on Instagram at Please Don't Make Me Watch. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.